0: Our scripture reading this morning is Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 to 6. Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? Where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. He who kills a a bull is as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol. Just as they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations, so I will choose their delusions and bring their fears upon them because When I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear, but they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but they shall be ashamed. The sound of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies. Our text is the latter half of verse 2. But on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And I didn't put this in the bulletin. I'm going to read as well from uh, the Catechism, Lord's Day 32 and into 33. So that's page 887 if you want to follow along. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? Well, it's because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also renewing us by his spirit into his image so that our whole lives, with our whole lives, we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits, and that he may be praised through us, and further, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Well, can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and unrepentant ways by no means? Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like will inherit the kingdom of God. And what is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. And what is the dying away of the old self? It is to be genuinely sorry for sin. And more and more to hate and run away from it. That's as far as I'm going to read. But these are the the truths that uh, we confess in common. That this is our understanding of the teaching of scripture. And uh, some of what will be in the sermon this morning will touch on these things. Repentance is indispensable. Repentance is necessary. And... What does repentance involve? It involves, among other things, the dying away of the old self, being genuinely sorry for sin, and more and more turning away from it. So these are uh, the things that are going to come up. Some of you might know uh, 500 years ago the stories of Martin Luther, how he read the Word of God. And when he read the Word, he was overcome by his sin. And this is what our topic is this morning. Are we overcome when we read the Word of God? Has this happened to us? Does this happen to us? We handle the Word of God often. We can become accustomed to it. And what happens when you're very accustomed to something or to someone? What can happen is that we don't treat them with the honor and the respect that they ought to have. We sometimes see this even in our own homes, that the people we love the most, we do not treat with that honor and respect. Instead, we behave as if they're secondary to whatever we have going on at the moment. And this is wrong. But if this can happen in our human relationships, can this happen also in our relationship with God the question of trembling at the word of God I I believe is at the crux of what is uh, in our text at the very end of verse 2 and that is key to what this passage is all about on this one I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word So although we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ not by our works Martin Luther worked that out still we must tremble at his word we must turn away from wicked works we must do good works those who do this according to our text are the people that God regards the one that he looks on And when we talk about God looking on them, we mean God looking on them with a face of blessing. This is implied. That when he looks on them, it's a face that means forgiveness. It's a face that means life. It's a face that means joy. So I'm taking what is implicit here and I'm making it explicit as our theme. God's face of blessing. And we have three points From whom is God's face of blessing turned? On whom does God's face of blessing look? And knowing whether God's face of blessing is on you. So our text talks about those on whom God's face looks. And this is in the middle of a description of the glories of God's coming kingdom these are the people who will enjoy the glories of that kingdom, but there are some who will not. They will be judged. And we can say that these people have been introduced from the very beginning of the book of Isaiah as those that God does not look upon. Chapter 1 in verse 15. He says, when they spread forth their hands in prayer, God will hide his eyes from them. He will not Look upon them. He will not regard them with that face of blessing. He goes on to say, Although you make many prayers I will not hear, your hands are full of blood. And this may be literally, they have taken men's lives. It may be that they have restricted and restrained other people's lives, because as you read the context there, it shows that they have been oppressing their neighbors, they have been perverting justice for profit. These are the people that God hides his face of blessing from. In Isaiah 58, they perform religious observances. In their fasting, they say, Why doesn't the Lord see it? Why is the Lord not looking on me? And the reason is, they have been oppressing Their neighbors and they use their religious observances to justify oppressing their neighbors who are hungry and naked and poor instead of relieving their neighbors. Their worship becomes a weariness as well because they are coming before God with their offering and they want God now to do what they want for them. And God doesn't always hear their prayer as we have just heard. So this is who they are. Now we can look at verse 3 of Isaiah 66 in our passage. This describes how the offerings of those from whom God hides his face, how they appear and why God hides his face from them. He who kills a bull is as if he slays a man. So somebody brings a bull for an offering, it's as if He kills a man. Well, why shouldn't that be? Because their hands are full of blood. They have been taking life, or at least getting at the root of what murder is, in oppressing their neighbor. He who sacrifices a lamb is as if he breaks a dog's neck. Well, a dog is an unclean animal. God did not allow that. But it's as if he offered this unclean thing to God, When the lamb was chosen for purity, for being without blemish, this is what is being offered. But if the offerer's heart behind it is not interested in purity, if it's not interested in righteousness, then what is the meaning of acting as if with this lamb you have an interest in purity and wholeness? It's a sham. So it's as if you offered, as if you broke a dog's neck, an unclean animal. And we go on. He who uh, offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. Again, the pigs were unclean animals not to be offered to God. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol. So what do we see in the offerings that the people brought that they thought would do something for them Not only do they have no inherent value after all God owns the cattle on a thousand hills what are you going to give him? Not only do they have no inherent value but to God they are abominations when they are brought with a wicked mind when they are brought without repentance. What did people think their religious observances were going to do? They wanted to sway God. This is actually how pagan worship works. When you have idols, you bring an offering, something of value, and then you say, I've done something of value for you. Now you do something of value for me. But is this how it works with the God of Israel? No, it's not. It never has been that way. It never will be because he comes to his people as the possessor of all things. There's nothing you can give him. And this is how our passage starts out in verse 1. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. He has made it all. Verse 2 says. So just as these sacrifices themselves. Also the temple. This is all. Nothing inherent in, the value, in, in what can be offered to God. This is what God has done for them. That's what all these things represent. So he says, where is the house that you will build me? And what this should do is make you think of King David. Because David saw the ark of the Lord in tents and he wanted to build a house for it. And God said, you're not going to build me a house. I am going to build you a house. And he was referring to the lineage sitting on the throne. Ultimately, Jesus Christ, who would come. He would be the atonement for sin. He would be the savior. And this whole system of religion that there was in the Old Testament was all about Jesus coming. That God provides the salvation. He is the one who takes care of us. And we can look at the context in Isaiah Isaiah 53, Christ, it is Christ and not we. He would make his soul an offering for sin and he will justify many and he will bear the iniquity of many. What a contrast to the offerings of the wicked where they said, I have something for you. Now you do something for me. How do we come to God? How do we look at worship? It is because the Lord is the Lord of heaven and earth that Jesus can turn to his people, that he can say, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest because the burden of your sin is something you cannot bear and you also do not need to bear. I am the Lord's provision. I will take your sin. So this is the contrast. It puts the offerings of the wicked into perspective. But when you hear the voice of Christ, he says to take his yoke on you, well, what do we learn? We learn something about that he is meek, And he is lowly in heart. And this is also what we need to have. And so we come now to some of those characteristics. In the latter half of verse 2. Which is our text. We come to these three things. On this one I will look. On him that is poor. Number one. Of a contrite spirit. Number two. Who trembles at my word. Number three. And we are moving more and more from an outward manifestation to an inward reality here as we go through the items in this in the text who are the poor well these are actually financially poor people in israel you remember the people from whom god hid his face these are oppressors and what do oppressors do do they want to make you rich no, they don't. They want to take what you have and leave you with very little. And we can read some, uh, uh, some examples of what's said in the book of Isaiah about them. Uh, God says of the wicked that they have the spoil of the poor in their houses, and they grind the faces of the poor. They take away the right of the poor. They destroy the poor with lying words. The people are poor, why? Is it because they've taken a vow of poverty? No, this is not what it's talking about. They have been made poor. Their wealth and their power to make good choices has been taken away by the arrogant rich, by the wicked. So they have been afflicted. They have been humbled. They've been brought low by force. Well, the poor show up over and over in the Psalms as those who are under oppression. And the Psalms have encouraging words. The poor will be saved. Why will they be saved? Is it because they have no money? No. We read in the Psalms, they trust in the Lord. They seek him. They cry to him. They call to him for mercy. They're righteous and the Lord is their refuge. So this is why they will be saved. Not because they're poor. And so when Jesus also spoke to, in his day, he said, blessed are you poor, you who suffer now, you who mourn now, you who hunger now. What was he saying? Here are people also who suffered injustice, who suffered because they wanted to maintain what was right as they looked to God. they had God's blessing. God will look upon them. So this is what the poor is about. They were financially poor, but we should understand this is a generalization. Not every poor person in Israel was godly, and also not every rich person was ungodly. This is why Jesus would talk about the poor in spirit who will inherit the kingdom of God. And why he would also say that it's hard for a rich man. Not impossible, but hard. Those, those that were brought up to believe that the power that they had, the authority that they had was for them. It's hard for them. When they've been given a lot, they've been given position, they have power, they have uh, Their children are to obey them. Their employees are to obey them. Maybe they have a place in the church. All these people, they're to do what I say. And it's hard for those people to inherit the kingdom. If they believe that this is for them. But with the poor in spirit, those people are right there with those who suffer they're not grinding down their poorer neighbors they're relieving them as they're able to so it's a generalization but this is the poor he's the opposite of the wicked in Israel he's interested in justice from God because he's been treated unjustly he may have gone to the courts and the courts are corrupt and he has no recourse All he can do is cry out to God. He doesn't want to take the law into his own hands. He's not overcome by evil. He's determined. I'm going to overcome evil with good. I'm looking for a salvation that comes from the Lord in his kingdom. Because I'm not getting it here on earth. So this aspect of the poor, we see that there is some spiritual aspect uh, behind it. And so we move on to the contrite spirit. The contrite spirit, contrite means that your spirit has been struck and that your spirit has been wounded. Your spirit is your inner being. This is not something that other people do to you. The poor, they're suffering because other people have done things to them. The contrite is suffering because he knows he has sinned against God so we get into this spiritual dimension and what we find is that in the places where God talks about saving the poor he's saving the contrite spirit these are not different people that some are poor some are the contrite in spirit God's interested in both of them these are the same person they're poor because they are contrite in spirit they care about what God thinks they care about what's right and wrong they're not afraid to say what is right and wrong what they themselves will not be a part of and this is part of the reason they're poor because they don't get the preferred pricing From those who are holding the strings of power. They're not in the in club. That gets all the favors. Psalm 34. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. But later in the psalm. The Lord is near to them. That are of a broken heart. He saves such as have a contrite spirit. So the two are linked together. So whereas the wicked says, Lord, here is my sacrifice. Now do me good. What does the contrite spirit do with his sacrifice? He says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because this was the meaning of the sin offering in the Old Testament. The need to place your sin on another. Someone able to pay the blood price. And, of course, that wasn't bulls and goats. It's Jesus Christ. So today, we come to God. Why? We have sin. And we don't know what to do with that sin. We need to get rid of it. We don't know what to do with it unless we take it to the only one who can take it away. Jesus Christ this is why we come this is why we worship this is why we show up why we pray to God why we sing our psalms why we hear the word why we give our offerings because we're poor sinners there's no other place to go he alone has the words of life We see something in King David. For a while he lived like the wicked. He took another man's wife. He took the life of that other man's life. His hands also had blood on them. The word of the Lord came to him and convicted him. What did he say? Yeah, this was a sin. The fine's going to be hefty for this one. I'll send a notice to have a few more animals brought out of the stables. That is not what he said, is it? He said, Psalm 51, you don't desire sacrifice or I would give it. You don't delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. The offerings are not a pleasure tax for the rich to pay. The offerings are an indication of repentance and sin-bearing. How does the Spirit become contrite? The Spirit becomes contrite when it knows it has broken God's Word. And that's the last point in our text. The foundational phrase here he who trembles at his Word. As I said in the introduction, we have ready access to the Word of God. We may have multiple copies. I have multiple copies. Sometimes in different rooms in the house We have copies I don't have my phone here There we go On the phone We have podcasts we listen to We can listen to preaching Sometimes on the radio And we can sit down anywhere In relative comfort To read the word of God To listen to a sermon To do all of these things We can join together in Bible study In relative comfort These are good things. Understand, though, how was it in Israel? How was it with the wicked in Israel? They loved to come and to be instructed, they loved to learn God's ways. And in today's terms, we would say they were very faithful in Bible study they were engaged they came they loved to come to church and sit under the preaching well these are good things right so what was wrong they didn't tremble at the word of God they didn't treat the word of the Lord as the word of the majestic Lord for whom the earth was only a footstool Instead, it was the word of the club to which they belonged. They have their annual dues, which they could pay very easily in the sacrifices. They have their other situations where you do this, you have to do that. And they could do a benefit-cost analysis and say, yes, this works with my business model, it's still profitable. And they loved to know what all those rules were so they could take advantage of them and so they could... Throw the book at other people. They could write their contracts in such a way that the other person always got the short end of it. Verse 3 says, verse, uh, yeah, they chose their own ways. In verse 3, they came to learn from God, but they were choosing their own ways doing what the Lord did not delight in. So if they truly honored the word of the Lord, if they truly trembled at the word of the Lord, what would happen? They wouldn't pick and choose commandments to say, yes, we will do this, but this, I'm going to think about that one. I'm going to let myself get away with that because we're all sinners. But they also not only wouldn't pick and choose, but they would realize There's something bigger going on here. The Lord is forming a people for Himself, and He's shaping them into His own image, which we call the image of Christ. It's a wonderful image of God who is just and true and loving and kind and gracious and merciful, who hears the cry of the poor and needy, the fatherless and the widow who liberates those who are in bondage. When you know the goodness of God, you love the goodness of God, and you want your life to show that goodness of God. You want the image of God in you, and you're willing to give things up for it. If it means you don't make a profit, so be it. Not because you earn it by not making a profit, but you make those choices to follow the Lord wherever they lead. And if it means that, then so be it. Because what are God's laws? Are they a hindrance to us? Do they hem us in? Are they restricting us? Is that their intent? Are they cutting our profits? That's not what they are. They teach us the most wonderful and valuable thing and that is how to walk with God how to keep in step with his spirit how to be yoked with Christ Well, trembling at the word we're not going to see that picture unless we tremble at the word of God unless we know the majestic Lord of Isaiah 66, 1, that he's the one who speaks in his word. We read the Ten Commandments. When God revealed himself at Mount Sinai, the people trembled, didn't they? They feared God. They asked for a mediator, not to distance from God, but to say, we want him to teach us so that we can obey They trembled in the right way. God says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and their children forever. Many would not have such a heart. And the question this morning is about your heart and how it is. By the word, there is the knowledge of of sin it will uncover our sins and it will call us to repent of them and to return to Christ and until we reach glory this is how it will be this will be unavoidable but as the Lord comes to us in this way he teaches us humbly to walk with him so this should be the earmark of our life To tremble at the word of the Lord. Consider Psalm 40. It's a prophecy of Christ, but it applies to Christ's people. Burnt offering, sin offering you did not require. All of our motions, what are they? When we think we have something to offer God. I come to do your will, O my God, and your law is in my heart. That's what the Lord delights in. Micah was a prophet at the same time as Isaiah. He prophesied in the same situation. What did he say? How am I going to come before the Lord with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Am I going to give the fruit of my body for my sin, the firstborn for my transgression? The more you give, the more God will like you. Is that how it is? God loves you first. He brings you the gospel. He speaks his word. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God? So what men offered God was not the point. Their offering when they came with a lamb, is it what they offered God? No, God was illustrating, this is what I offer you, my son. That's the vital point. This is true today. We don't bring the animals to church, we don't do it that way anymore. But still, when you come to appear before God, what is your attitude? Now, I'd like to move into our third point, and that is knowing whether God looks on you. You might be surprised at this point because we've just dealt with the three phrases of the second half of verse 2. He that's poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word, it should be plain. But it's not always plain. Because there are people who teach, and we ourselves may misinterpret what God is saying to us here we might think God is here setting a bar that I can't get over they'll say would I be willing to do that you look at some good person would I be willing to give it all up for the Lord The question. You think about how you've sinned. You say, Yeah, I acknowledge that was a sin. I wasn't feeling it, you know, as I should have. Other times I did feel it, really, but how could that start to fade? How could that pass? Am I really contrite in spirit? Do I really tremble at the word of the Lord? So these people will look at themselves and find themselves falling short. I don't meet the bar of this verse. Well, how do we understand that? Well, first, let's understand that's accurate. Who truly meets the bar? of anything that God says we ought to do. Who fully is repentant as he ought to be? Our sinfulness affects not only how we live, but also when we recognize our sin, our repentance even is imperfect. It's possible to find fault with yourself or someone else. To such an extent that there is no room for grace at all and when that happens you turn yourself into Martin Luther before he understood the gospel when he sat in his monastery cell when he beat himself up because I'm not good enough is this what verse 2 is asking for perfection well in a way it is but in a way understand let's have a look at it in context what is going on first of all verse 2 is a promise this is talking about the new heavens and the new earth and some people are going to enjoy that new heavens and new earth and some are not and these are the ones that God looks to There is a class of people. God did not make this promise so no one can enjoy the benefit of having a promise made to them. He made this promise so that people would live by it and be comforted by it. We saw what the context is in Isaiah. There are the oppressors, the arrogant rich, the people who like to manipulate whatever position they have. They want to turn things for their own good and it's all about them. And then you have the humble poor who are looking to God who say, I want to do what God says. I'm willing, if it means to be poor, to do what God says. Now, they're not perfect in this life. The work of God is not complete in this life. But there are these two groups of people and they should be easy to distinguish from each other. This is what the context is here. And trembling at the word of the Lord. Think about whose word that is. This is the word of the Lord, your shepherd. The Lord, your shepherd, says more than... You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no carved image. You shall not take my name in vain. He says more than that, doesn't he? He says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. So what are you going to listen to? The abuse of others, the threats of others, the accusations of others. Whose word gets weight When Christ says, If anyone thirsts, let him come. Take of the water of life freely. Do you tremble at his word? When he says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. Come, buy wine, milk, without money, without price. At whose word do you tremble? Do you tremble at his word? When he says, come, when he says I stand at the door and I knock if any man opens to me I will come in I will sup with him do you tremble at his word do you come and you can call your imperfect repentance what it is it's imperfect it's sinful but that's just another sin that you can take to the Lord You can say, I'm not what I ought to be. I want your spirit to renew me. I want you to help me tremble at your word, to be humble before you. You can take it to the Lord. You don't need to wait. Right now, you can... Acknowledge that right now. You don't have to go away and think about the things you already know. You can right now confess your sin to the Lord. He will have mercy on you. You can acknowledge your sin now. You can be sorry for it right now. For any sin the Lord ever reveals through his word, he has an answer. He has a remedy. The remedy is Jesus Christ, and he did not give his son to die on the cross so that you would not use the remedy and that you go through life miserable and waywardly. He gave Jesus Christ so that you would use the remedy so your hearts can be free. From your sin. For all who repent of your sin, this is the promise. It's a wonderful promise. It's a comfort. This is the context. This is what is given for you. To this one I will look on him who's poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. What if you are one who looks at yourself and says, I don't think I'm one of those people. I've been going through these motions. I've been looking for the praise of men. I've manipulated. I've sought what's good for me. I've been interested in God's word, the way a prosecuting attorney is interested in the law. Not as a child learning... To walk with his God. What if this is you? Is there any hope in this verse for you? We read what the end will be of those who don't repent. Throughout Scripture, we see it is a terrible end, it's an end you do not want. And we can see in verse 5, hear the word of the Lord. This is again a comfort to those who tremble at the word of the Lord. What's he saying? Your brothers who cast you out for my name's sake will be ashamed. And verse 6 ultimately, it's about judgment on them. The Lord who repays, he fully repays his enemy. Is there hope? for you. The good news is no enemy of Christ needs to remain an enemy of Christ. This is what we read in Romans 5. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Romans 5:10. Christ came to turn enemies from whom he hides his face into a people he looks on. With favor and with grace. And he has, he went to the cross, he went to redeem countless, countless people so that they could enjoy this favorable face of God. Is there hope? You have but to repent. God will show favor to you so this verse no matter where you are far from God fairly close to God no matter where you are there's a promise here there's a comfort here it's available in Jesus Christ you have to receive him by faith This is good news. It's not an unreachable bar. The Lord's word is for everyone. I repeat this promise one more time. To this one I will look. On this one I will look. On him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Here's our question this morning Will the Lord look on you With his face of blessing To all who repent The answer is yes He will Let's pray Father in heaven Thank you for giving your word to us For teaching us What it is to walk with you teaching us about life in your kingdom, but teaching us about what is important in this world. We are often occupied with our daily needs, and less so with your word, and even less do we tremble the way we ought before your word. How little we are, uh, what we ought to be, how little we are worthy of your grace, but your grace is magnified because even in this, you come to us, you teach us, here's how you need to live, and you offer us the grace of Jesus Christ that it's by your great provision that we are saved, and not by our performance. We pray that lord that we may be enabled to perform as a work of yours that christ living in us your spirit working in us would help us to live the godly life that you call us to here that we may seek you always and when we fall that we would return to you with all of our heart that we would see our sin for what it is in affront to the most high majestic God. Lord, let let us never come to you as those who believe we have anything of ourselves to bring because we do not. Our our plea only is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In him alone uh, we live. We confess this to your glory. This is our desire to honor you, to magnify your salvation. Lord, increase that desire. If there's any that does not know you, Lord, we pray that uh, your word of grace would penetrate the heart and cause repentance there also. But Lord, we need your supernatural working every day, the working of your Holy Spirit to give us a sensitivity to our sin, to give us a sensitivity to your majesty so that we will abhor what is evil and that we will love what is good that we'll turn from what is evil and turn to do good. Lord, these uh, we want to be good as you are good. We want to be holy as you are holy. And so we pray that you are-